Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. And it needs to say, I'm a thoughtful person. And I appreciate you. And I know exactly what you like. All at the same time. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life, like the pickleballer, the jazz fan, the zen seeker, the artist, or the pasta lover. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there's something for everyone on Etsy. A gifting moment is always around the corner. Whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Gift easy with Gift Mode on Etsy. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from Hot Springs, Virginia. There is just so much history around here. Where do you go where it's 98 degrees all the time? Well, right near here, as a matter of fact, there are the baths. And uh, someone who knows a little bit about that is Julie Langen who basically is the director of the Virginia Department of Historic Resources. A great title. You have to explain all the historic resources, Julie. We don't have enough time, but explain the 98 degrees. The pools in Warm Springs are a constant 98 degrees. doesn't matter if it's winter or summer, 98 degrees. And they're hot springs. And they're hot springs. But they're actually not as hot as the springs here in Hot Springs, which are 104 degrees. So hot springs... So we're hotter. You're... We're, where the homestead is actually located is hotter than the springs in Warm Springs. Well, I always want to be at the hot place, so I guess <laughs> I guess we got that covered. But as you drive around the state, because mm-hmm. you're based in Richmond, I am. Um, tell me more about hot springs. This part of Virginia, which is really off the beaten path, you have to want to come here. Yeah, is, there's no, there's, you don't get here by train. No, not anymore. You can't really fly commercially. Mm-hmm. Not easily. Not no. easily. You got to drive. I mean. My choices to get here were Roanoke, Lynchburg, or Charlottesville. Right. And thanks to uh, 
a certain airline that'll be mentioned in the next segment. <laughs> um, I almost didn't make any of them. Uh, but bottom line is, you got to want to come here, as you say. You do. But it's well worth the effort. This is a very rural, undeveloped part of the state where historically there's been a concentration of mineral springs. And that's why we have the homestead. That's why there historically were many other hotels that haven't survived. And it really creates a unique history for this county. It has brought people for hundreds of years to come here and visit. And some of those people have chosen to stay. So you would be surprised down some of these wooded driveways that there are houses of high architectural quality designed by architects who are very famous. And that have been preserved. And have been preserved. You know, in New York City, if you want to see incredible architecture, you have to look up. In Los Angeles, you have to just drive around and look out. Here, you got to go down the driveway. You do. And you, from just the general roads, you get a beautiful drive. The, the landscape is exquisite. But if you can get off of those main roads, you will be constantly surprised. And that's one of the things that keeps me coming back. Well, you're a historic preservation specialist and professional. You must have a challenge with budget. You must have a challenge with getting people to understand the importance of this. Absolutely. Both of those statements are correct. Oh, I'm, I know, but, uh, but then how do you do it? Well, you cultivate relationships. You help people understand and appreciate their own personal and unique history where they live. And in a place as rich as Bath County, that hasn't been difficult to do. I mean, I'm thinking here we are at, you know, at, at the homestead. It's in their best interests to preserve the history. Because, Absolutely. I mean, as a historic hotel, it's part of what they can offer. Absolutely. I mean, people aren't coming here to uh, to race hoverboards, so to speak. I mean, uh, they might have a few in the hallway, but that's not the reason why they're here. No, it's really, I think, whether they realize it, it may be for some people a bit subconscious. They're coming here for an authentic experience. And this is an authentic, genuine experience. You can still come here in 2016 and get a taste and some insight into what a historic spring resort was like. I mean, I'm, you know, I was down earlier today in the, in the kitchen, in the pastry kitchen with the executive chef. We'll be on the show a little bit later. And that oven hasn't changed since 1902. I've always wanted to see that oven. Yeah, but here's the problem. <laughs> if you go down there to see the oven, you're going to have to eat donuts. Oh, too bad. And if you have to eat the donuts, then they have to get the stretcher because you're going for a long nap. I've eaten those donuts. They're well worth the calories. Oh, oh my God. I, what a rush. <laughs> but we'll talk about the donuts later. But that's the thing. The kitchen down there still functional, still mm -hmm. operating, mm -hmm. using equipment that still works from 1902. Right. Amazing. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. When we just left off in the last segment, we were talking about the bathhouses are definitely not, I mean, they're operational, but nobody went there, did there the extreme home makeover. Not yet, no. But when you do that, there are certain rules. They are still going to be original in their design and the use of materials. They 
need to be maintained the same way any building does. So the roof needs some repair. The buildings need some of their wood members replaced because they've gotten, um, you know, rotten from the moisture. But they are going to look the same when the work is done as they do now, just in better condition. And the, the real key is, A, keep them functional, and B, tell the story. Tell the story. Those buildings have never had heat, air conditioning. They, they shouldn't. That's not the kind of buildings they are or ever were meant to be. When you take a look at the work that's been done just here, right, it takes a lot of work just to keep this hotel up. I don't think people understand the work it takes to keep up, up a property like this. It's staggering. I mean, give me an example. Well, the maintenance never ends. And this is a very large property, and there are a number of historic buildings. Most of the buildings are historic. And just to keep the lights on is a lot of work and um, requires constant investment, reinvestment, and maintenance. You know what I noticed? And I kind of liked it, right? Okay, was the water pressure the way I wanted it in my room? No, because it was the old water pressure. Was the bathtub huge? No. Um, was the bathroom large? I mean, in terms of all the different things? No. Was it functional? Yes. But here's what I really liked. You know it's an old hotel. It's a solid hotel. But when you walk across the floor, it they, creaks it a little does. bit. I like that. And what I know from having stayed here a number of times is that every room is different. Yeah. So the size, the configuration, the size of the bathroom, the size of the closets, the views, which are spectacular, yeah. every room is different. And I have a huge porch that I can go out there and mm -hmm. sit and just peruse, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like cruise ships. Everybody wants a balcony cabin, right? You seen the balconies on these, on these cruise ships? They're the size of like my laptop. <laughs> I mean, it's all, it's just ornamental. It's not functional. Here it's functional. They are, they were meant to be. Um, Back before the days of really good air conditioning, they served a very practical purpose. Yeah. People would go out there and enjoy the cool breezes. Hence the rocking chairs. Hence the rocking chairs, yes. See, now, I have an issue with rocking chairs in other locations. For example, at the Charlotte Airport, they have rocking chairs. I get angry. Why do you think I get angry? Because it sends a message to you that you're going to be, be there, there a forever. while. <laughs> I don't want... What made an airport think that I want to go and, and make that a destination? No, I want to just get through it, right? I don't want to shop there. I don't want to entertain my friends there. I don't want to do fine dining there. It's like, get to plane, get on plane, bye-bye, right? And now when you see rocking chairs in an airport, and Charlotte doesn't, it's not the only airport that has it. It's like, wait a minute, is my, how, how late is my plane? The minute I see the rocking chair, they have to ask that question, right? Here, you see the rocking chair, it's like, I'm already here. This is where I want to be. It's okay to sit in the rocking chair. Do yourself a favor, and before you leave, sit in one of those rocking chairs and just enjoy. Enjoy the ambiance. Does the hotel sell those rocking chairs? Not that I'm aware of. They should. They yeah. should. Because people want that experience when they go back home. They'd be a little hard to get home. No, you're kidding. <laughs> FedEx ground, UPS, come on. Anybody can do it. But you know what I'm saying. I do. It would be a great idea. Mm -hmm. You know, because people, you, you talk about an authentic experience. There's an authentic experience. It is. And people would take that for granted until they sit there and realize, oh, I know where I am right now, and this is what I'm experiencing. Mm -hmm. When people come to visit you, and you're taking them around here, what's the biggest surprise to them that they're not expecting? 
I think that it still is a spring resort. There are still springs on this property. You can go to Allegheny Springs and you're still having something that resembles the same experience as people who came here a couple hundred years ago. And here's the interesting thing. We, we did this show from the French Lick Resort in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Also springs. Absolutely. Yet they had a rail line and people would take the train to go there. Well, there used to be a train. I, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> in 1892, the train started bringing people, and it was a lot easier to get here than it had been before. And where are those tracks now? Rails to trails? I don't even know where the tracks are now. Because that's a big movement, rails to trails, turning yes, them into hiking and biking yeah, paths. Yeah. But you know, we, we have an embarrassing rail system in this country, and it's too bad that they haven't done more work on that. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. I always like to come to a location and ask the locals. Well, I've got a local and someone who's been writing about this place for quite a while, not just this hotel, but this county. We're actually in Bath County. For those of you who are interested, get your maps out. And her name is Margo Oxendine. Hey, Margo. Hello, Peter. Now, we know about the about the homestead. You know a lot about the homestead because it's got such history. Absolutely. I mean, all the presidents who have been here, all the presidents who attempted to play golf here. Was that fair <laughs> enough, right? Um, and all the history that surrounds it, right? But yes. there's so much more to that. Oh, it's a, such an expansive history. And the hotel has offered so much to so many people through uh, through the generations. We not only have employed here staff who are maybe the third, fourth, even perhaps fifth generation of employee. You know, but I, was, also, I was walking down the hall and I took a look at the pictures. There are people there who had 55 years of service. Oh, yes. There is a, a woman in her 90s who is still coming into work every day. Wow. There are also, uh, there is also the tradition of generational guests, which is a wonderful thing. Um, I interviewed recently a family who's been coming here from Williamsburg since 1920, and there were three generations here that day. Wow, and they're still looking for their mini bar charges. (laughs) But you write for the recorder, which is really the the paper of record for this county. It is. it's not just the people who visit this hotel, it's the people who know it. It's part of the neighborhood. It's part of the community, right? Oh, it's a very big, important part of the community, and it always has been. Now, you've lived in Key West, you've lived in San Francisco. What brought you here? <laughs> well, actually, I was brought here when I was seven years old by my uh, father, who happened to be a state trooper at the time. and. Uh, that was sort of against my will out of a private Catholic school in near D.C. And then I came here. Well, they were... Somebody gave you the opportunity to escape a Catholic school? <laughs> Wait, and, you, and you didn't want to leave? You know what? Actually, Margo, we have to talk. That was... <laughs> uh, my father eventually became the, um, the chief of security here at the homestead. And uh, I, of course, could not wait to get out of here. I fled to college and then I yeah, but went when to he Key was, West. But wait, when he was chief of security here, you were Eloise. Come on, you, you had fun. I was. You had the run of the You're hotel. Right. Come on. I was. You it did. was wonderful. I could go anywhere and do anything, and it was marvelous. And they never found out. Uh, well, they just looked the other way. <laughs> because the only guy who could enforce it happened to be your dad. Exactly. <laughs> what was your first really big discovery about this hotel that was like your cool discovery? Like, I had no idea X. 
Oh, I know what that would be. What? Absolutely. The catacombs. Tell me more. My father used to give this private little... Oh, he was quite the entertainer. He used to give this private tour of the catacombs, and they are a series of underground tunnels throughout this entire hotel where workers and machinery and equipment and whatnot can be moved from one area to the other without disturbing the loveliness that guests are experiencing. So the true at back the time. of the house, the true back of the house. Yes, there's a back of the house, but there's also an under the house. Ah. And all the stories are down there. Well, there are, I'm sure, more stories than I know about down that happened down there. Well, but. Th that brings up the obvious question. Is this place haunted? Oh, no. No. Uh, you mentioned if it's haunted, haunted, wait a second. It's catacombs? haunted by great travel memories. Now, don't give me the brochure. <laughs> I'm not even employed by the homestead. I know that. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is if you mention the word catacombs and underground and ooh, mysterious, ooh, you started by ooh, saying ooh. that. Come on. <laughs> well, what, what, I did. what happens at Halloween around here? Uh, not a, a heck of a lot. There's really not even Unless much you happen to trick be or in treating. The catacombs. catacombs. Okay, okay. Ooh, I need to mention that to the marketing department. They could set up a whole yes, excellent could. adventure down there. All right, so you discovered the catacombs through your dad. Yes. Okay, and, and then what? Where, where was your hiding place in the hotel? Oh, I had many of them, although I didn't truly need hiding places, but I knew... Everybody All kinds of secret place. little passageways where I could duck in in my youth and smoke a cigarette. <gasps> Gasp. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. when people come to visit you now, and because and, you live here now and you've lived I here do. for quite a while, what's the one thing that they're surprised about that they're not expecting to see? Mm. Not just about the hotel, but about this area. It might sound cliche, but the utter natural beauty, the pure gorgeousness of the place, the fact that no matter what the season, even the dead of winter, this place is full of beauty and nature. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go We've been speaking with Margot Oxendine. Is it Oxendine or Oxendine? It's Oxendine. Thank you very much for giving me that school teacher rebuttal, <laughs> Oxendine, and don't you forget it. My father used to say when I had first met the man who became my husband, I couldn't remember how to pronounce his name either, and he said, oh, that's easy, Oxendine. It's a place you go when the steak and ale is closed. Come on down to Oxendine. Sorry. Is that a Virginia we can joke? Move on. Okay, fine. Let's move on. Yeah, <laughs> Oxendine. You can cut that. You know later. what? No, no, no. You know what? You give me an idea. No, I'm not going to open that restaurant. <laughs> you know, you've done a lot in your life. You were a stand-up comedian, but you became a museum curator. What was that all about? I did. Oh, that was just marvelous. Where was that? That was right here in Warm Springs at the Bath County Historical Society. And Warm Springs next to Hot Springs. Hot Springs, Springs yes. Each of the springs. By the way, you don't want to move to Tepid Springs. That's no. not good. <laughs> Stay away from the tepid springs. Go ahead. Actually, each of the springs are about eight-ish miles from one another, lined up throughout the valley, and that's because in the old days, that was how long it, uh, how far a stagecoach could travel in a day. 
They, that way they could travel and do the Springs circuit, and they could go to Millborough Springs, Bath Alum Springs, Warm Springs, Hot Springs, Healing Springs, and eventually make their way over to that other uh, springs, White Sulphur Springs. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, we know those <laughs> in another state, by the way. Oh uh, yes. Yes, and but, we we've done the show from there, by the way, <laughs> from from the Greenbrier. I mentioned it. Sorry. Yes. Well, okay, that's fine. quite all right. Okay. We but like the Greenbrier Museum curator. Where? Where? Where do? Where were you a museum curator? Right here. And what did you curate? Oh my gosh. Well, I almost hesitate to say, but when I went in there. Oh, it was a sad and sort of lackluster state of affairs. And so I put things together and made rooms and made displays and found, got my hands on all kinds of fantastic pieces of history from probably as early as the late 1700s. Such as? Oh, gosh. There was... There is a lot of Springs memorabilia there. There are... Wait, wait, wait. wait. What could constitute a Springs... What, somebody left the bathing suit? <laughs> Very good. What no, Springs memorabilia? Actually, most of that would be what museum people classify as ephemera. Wonderful old ads and booklets and brochures and guest registers from each of the many, many, many hotels that were here. In fact... The homestead was perhaps one of the earliest, but by no means the only one. And for quite a long period of time, the premier resort on the Virginia Springs circuit, which also included West Virginia at that time, was the Warm Springs Hotel. Barely a trace of it remains today, but it was it far eclipsed the homestead in terms of grandeur and popularity. Um, it was begun about 1800, and it was in operation until the homestead bought it around 1920, in the 1920s, the early 20s, and then had a big auction. So we did have a lot of things from that auction in the uh, Historical Society Museum. Uh, 1925, they tore it down. Mm. It was actually adjacent to the, of course, famous Warm Springs Pools, which are now today called the Jefferson Pools. But I was over there today. Mm, you had an enjoyable time. Did you take a dip? I did not take a dip. Oh, Peter. I, I had to come and do my radio show. Oh, my no, but gosh. I saw a lot. I, wait, but I saw other people taking dips, and it was interesting to watch because here we are, you know, the last parts of summer, right? Yes. And that water temperature is still 98 degrees. It is, 98.6. Excuse me. It's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> when was the last time you were in? Oh, gosh. You know, it's been a while. Uh, I, I'm i such an old-fashioned person that I liked it when it was just the ladies' pool, strictly ladies, and the men's pool, strictly men. Now, they still have a ladies' and a, and a men's, but, but it's co-ed for both. Yes, it is. And families are also welcome now. Oh, I saw you stick your tongue out. God forbid it should get the, around that I don't want to be swimming with screeching children and fun noodles, but that's the case. There you go. Keep that going. This is Flight 372 on SWA. The flight attendant's on board serving you today. Teresa in the middle, David in the back. 
My name is David and I'm here to tell you that Shortly after takeoff, first things first There's soft drinks and coffee to quench your thirst But if you want another kind of drink, then just holler Alcoholic beverages will be $4 If a monster energy drink is your plan That'll be $3 and you get the whole can We won't take your cash, you gotta pay with plastic Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. You take a look around. You know, the original acreage of the homestead was more than 15,000, I think. And they gave a lot of it back to, the, to, to natural preserve. And now it's down to 4,000, but that's still a lot. But the 11,000 is really to preserve it. And joining me now is somebody who's all about that kind of preservation, naturalist Brian LaFountain. Hey, Brian. Good afternoon. Yeah. So talk to me about this. Uh, we look around, and you know, we're, here we are celebrating the 100 years of the U.S. national parks. And, and you ask yourself, most Americans do not know, uh, half of them, quarter of them, one-tenth of them. They hear Yosemite. They hear Yellowstone. But where we are right now, there's so much to see. Yeah, we're the center of Appalachia, the uh, the mountain range that extends from Georgia to Maine. We're the center of, we're the heart of it. And uh, this very unique place is um, <clears throat> drawn people here for centuries, and uh, that's due to this scenery in the springs. You were talking about those earlier. Um, this county actually rests on top of an aquifer that feeds all these springs. Let's get down to the quote base of things. These waters can come from very deep levels. It's said to be up. Well, they must be coming from deep levels so they can maintain that 98 degree temperature Correct. all year long. Right. The deeper they, the hotter they are on the surface, the deeper they come from. And we happen to have 13 of those springs right in this area. And that's why the homestead was centrally located around those springs. Kind it was of like, not a coincidence. Not a coincidence. And uh, they're still the highlight. Where I work is actually called the Cascades Gorge with the cascading 12 waterfalls. It's fed by the healing spring, which the opportune oper uh, the perfect name for it which would be all the healing properties the lithium iron magnesium copper calcium carbonate those are all the mystery mysterious uh, beneficial parts of the water that people still use today you know you take a look around the country there are so many hotels that, that did open um, precisely because they were near those kinds of springs or the quote healing waters even in Indiana we did our radio show from French Lake another historic hotel and they started with healing waters but then there was too much chemical content in the waters, and they actually had to close it. Huh. Not the hotel, the springs. Too much chemical? In what way, you mean? Too many. Uh, the actual levels of either lithium oh. or lead, you know, the, ah. they, they, were, they were worried about that. Ah. Well, these are quite therapeutic. Uh, we've heard a lot of benefits about people losing eczema and depression issues were, you know, moved on. And so, I mean, I've been using the Jefferson pools for many years. And, uh, and you don't look very depressed. No. <laughs> No, doing very well. I love my position. I've been there for a very long time. Very lucky man to be there. So what still excites you about this area? Uh, well, for example, like I'll, I'll walk into work. I say work every day. It's, it's a position in life that I was allowed. I think the universe unfolded nicely for me. Uh, being raised in the Adirondacks as a child, being a very um, hardcore naturalist as a child, being raised by a father who was also a hardcore naturalist. It was my life's mission as a child to be involved in nature, and uh, somehow it unfolded that I've been doing this for over half of my life, working at the homestead, actually, um, almost 30 years. I started here in the late 80s, and I'm still here, and um, almost 50, and uh, one of the few people I can think that cannot wait to get to work. My work involves walking into a gorge where I'll be suddenly surprised by 
two rare orchids I hadn't seen ever in that place before. And it just lights my heart up. And I get to have busloads of people follow me every day to show these wonders. Well, you see, that's the thing I always get angry about. So many people will go to a resort, whether it's a resort like this or a beach resort, and they'll never leave the resort. Here you can, and you should. When you say leave the resort. Meaning leave your leave the main room. Oh, yeah. Leave the building. Oh, we're expansive. Get outside, exactly. Yeah, we're expansive. I mean, you say with 15,000 acres, we still utilize it. Just because it's not uh, the proper hotel property under their name, we still utilize that land for biking and hiking and all these other things. We're still on that property. So what's the biggest surprise for you here? The biggest surprise for me is that I can't believe the number of people that show up here. I've toured countless thousands of people. I'll walk out on a 16-degree day because I do my job all year with these waterfalls, and there'll be 25, 30 people waiting for this tour every single day. And it's actually, I'm really proud to say, the most popular activity at this resort. So it's, it's just a, a blessing. I can't wait to get to work and, and unfold these things in front of the guests so they can really feel a part of this really natural world that is not touched. We don't even have a stoplight in the county, for goodness sakes. Is that true? Yeah. Wow. Is there a speed limit? This, they're called squirrels. <laughs> but <laughs> Hey, by the way, the person who just said that is a naturalist. <laughs> Good one. You talk about those 16-degree days. Yeah. Is the waterfall frozen? No, the water, the waters range in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. As Margot said, this particular spring never freezes, so it causes a real jump. So there's steam. There's steam, and also causes prolific plant life. In the springtime, in the springtime, we have so many wildflowers. There's over 300 species in two miles. That's that's Amazonian. Because the water never freezes, it allows the plant life to have sort of a leg up. When the season does kick in, bang. When you have nine kinds of orchids in two miles, that is literally considered tropical and semi-tropical. So we classify it as tropical and semi-tropical. Hello? Uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. My next guest, fifth generation employee. How yes. about that? Of the Omni Homestead, Don Ryder. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Peter. Thank you. Now, you know, when I when I met you, you said, I'm the director of golf, retired. I ain't buying that. You, you're wearing a golf shirt. You're going to go. Did you play golf today? Played golf you yesterday. Did, did you? Okay, <laughs> see, you didn't retire. Still doing several lessons and still, still hanging around the golf courses. Now, I have to tell you, in the interest of full disclosure, I don't play golf. I drive a mean cart. That's about my, you know, I, I will watch highlights on SportsCenter. That's always cool when they, they make those incredible shots on the green. But what's special about this course? Because this course has been around for a long time. Plus, it has the distinction of being, what, the oldest tee, right? It's the oldest number one tee in continuous use in the United States. How, how often are you fixing the grass? They're working on the grass every day. <laughs> if it's the oldest continuous use tee, somebody's chopping the you-know-what out of it, right? <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So what's special other than that about this course? Well, it's, um, it's a mountain golf course, very small greens, um, very challenging golf course, even though it's not very long. So, and it's, the vistas are unbelievable. It's right in the middle of the mountains. See, now, you're now going to talk to me like I would be talking if I was a golfer. I play a terrible game, but I, don't, I always talk about the vistas. 
Most golfers love the views and <laughs> love the scenery around the golf courses. Now, you started here as a doorman. Yes, I did. I actually started here at, uh, at a golf service station in 1965. It was my first job. And I left for a couple of years and came back as a doorman in 73. That was a lucrative job. Yeah, Come that's on, a, you know it was. I had a good set of clubs when I was a doorman. <laughs> could afford them. You could afford them. People, you know, a couple of years ago, we took the doorman at the Four Seasons Hotel in Chicago after an eight-hour shift. We said, come with us. And he was willing. He said, come with us. We went to a rural room. He said, empty your pockets. Let's count. You know what he was making today in cash? I'm not going to say because I don't want anybody to know what I'm making. <laughs> but we're talking the same page here, aren't we? Yes, sir. We are. But then you got into golf. Yes, in 1979, I worked from 73 to 79, and uh, was moved to the head golf professional here at the whole course at Omni Homestead. Now, this is a resort that has at least 4,000 working acres, not to mention 11,000 used to have. In all your years here, right, have you been over every inch of this place? Just about every piece of the property. I was actually a tree surgeon at one time, and Probably climbed every tree around the property here. So in case a tree came running in here right now complaining of a problem, you could operate? I could help on it. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been in a lot of them on the golf course, too. Well, they need a little help because of what they get hit with. <laughs> uh, but what's the biggest surprise to you about this resort in terms of, of, of the topography or in terms of, of the history? Well, I think the, the biggest would be the number of returning guests we've had through the years that I've been here. I've give golf lessons and met people to great-grandchildren to great-grandchildren and um, given them lessons now giving their kids lessons so people just keep coming back now you're fifth generation that means your dad worked here my dad my mother okay wait let's start. what'd your dad do here my dad actually managed a farm for the Ingalls family who owned the homestead right so he supplied correct okay and your mom my mother worked in the dress shop here as a seamstress. Okay, keep going. Both my grandparents were my grandfathers. They were carpenters when the tower was built. They and built the tower? Correct. They were both carpenters. And then myself and then my son works at the gun club. My daughter works in the HR department here, and I have four granddaughters. That now, I know that your son works at the gun club. you know why? Why is that? Because you took me shooting today. Well... Good. He actually, had fun. Hold on, wait. He actually let me hit something. <laughs> okay. No, I mean, Good. I, well, he was he was being nice to me. I've taught him well. <laughs> you shoot as well? <laughs> I do shoot, yes, sir. Right. So what is it about, you know, I see plaques on the wall here of people with 55 years of service. Yeah, there's so many families like my family here that a generation after generation have worked here. My wife's grandfather worked here 65 years. Went to work when he was 13 and worked till he was 78 when he passed away. So child labor laws were not in effect then? Not in effect. He, was a, he carried water on the golf course. We're back to the golf course again. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, how many places can you actually say that in these days that you have that kind of multi-generational approach? Not many that I know of. What's the biggest surprise to you about this place? Oh, gosh, just how it's withstood the time. I mean, how it's... Uh, held up and well listen if you were here on the golf course and we had what 23 presidents who came here how many played golf gosh i'm not going to no- tell you for sure because i don't know i know that bush played this last year and which I know bush? Eisenhower I mean, played. george w played you're right 
Dwight Eisenhower. Dwight Eisenhower played. Uh, General Ford played. How many trees did he hit? He. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you know, he had his issues on the golf course no matter where he played. So he hit trees here. Sure. He was in the rough all the time. <laughs> right. How was George W. Bush? He He's actually a fairly decent player. I, I didn't get to get up and watch him much, but uh, I know he had some good matches when he was out here. Now, if I remember correctly, Dwight Eisenhower was the first person to put a putting green at the White House. I think that's correct. Right? So he was a good golfer. Yeah, I know Sam Snead gave him golf lessons. Well, people forget Sam Snead is legendary because of this location, too. That's correct. He started here. He started in the, he, as a golfer here. Slamming Sammy Snead. Played a lot of golf with him through the years, and he was a great friend of mine. I was a pallbearer for him when he died. Wow. Would he be competitive on the, on the course today? You know, um, up until he was in his 80s, I mean, he still played a decent round of golf. When he was 71 years old, he shot 60 on the Lower Cascades course, set a course record. Wow. 12 under par at 71 years old. He dined out on that for a while. Sure did. <laughs> What's your handicap? I'm pretty much a scratch golfer. Could right. be playing better. Uh, haven't uh, played as much. Scratch lately. golfer? How old are you? I'm 69. Okay. You're doing okay. Doing okay. You're doing okay. okay. Is it a tough course? This course here is uh, It's not quite as uh, tough as our Cascade course. Our Cascade course is a more challenging golf course. Uh, you know, uh, it's a... Championship course, we've held eight USGA championships and two senior tour shootouts, and it's a it's a very challenging golf course. And you're still out there just about every day playing? Still go every chance I get. Looking for trees in need of help. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <laughs> or a door that needs to be opened. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Now our radio clearance, over. That's Clarence, over. Over. Roger. Huh? To say that this is a historic hotel, just about every aspect of this hotel goes back since day one, if you want to really think about it. And we're talking 250 years. Think about that. How many hotels can claim that? Um, and a lot of it takes place in the kitchen. Uh, like many old hotels, uh, there have been a couple of fires. One in particular, back in 1901. 1901. Which basically burned the place down, just about. And it started in the pastry kitchen. Of course, you know how important that is to people like me. They rebuilt it right away by 1902. And those ovens are still there today. Uh, joining me now, the executive chef of the homestead, uh, Gregory Barnhill. Gregory, uh, I was in the kitchen with you earlier today, so I, if, if truth be told, we were making donuts. That we were. It was pretty awesome. And by the way, how, the recipe for the donuts goes back how long? Um, we can trace it back uh, 114 years. All right, so now it might be older, but that's as far back as we can trace it. All right, well, that was when the fire was just about, right? Yep. Yeah. Was it caused by a donut? No, <laughs> it, it was caused by an errant piece of coal. Well, we can't have that happen. No. And the coal is no longer being used here, of course. But the recipe for those donuts—they're lethal. Yeah, yeah. Can I, give me the recipe right now. So, off the top of my head, it's uh, four cups of sugar. Okay, stop right there. We're dead. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, Krispy Kreme can't even come close. No. And then there's the butter that uh, that goes in there as Which well. Which means Cinnabon is not even in the running. Nope. Okay. 
And how many of these do you make every day? You know, it depends on the day, but up to uh, a couple thousand a day, depending on the, if it's a weekend, Saturday, so. So if you see a lot of people running around crazed, it's called, they have a sugar rush from the donuts. Absolutely. And you have the cinnamon, the sugar cinnamon, and the and the glaze. We have a maple glaze, yeah. But we actually, it's not maple, it's hickory. So we get the sap from hickory trees. Of course you do. Yeah. <laughs> and then we also have a bacon glazed donut that we didn't uh, make today. Does that come with the ambulance? Yeah. I just want to know. I just <laughs> Yeah, it comes with an ambulance. And a, yeah. And then, of course, your, your secret is, for those who don't eat the donuts, the donuts do not go to waste. No. So even if uh, we have a few hundred donuts left over at the end of the day, we take those, cut them up, and we make our world-famous donut bread pudding, which is made with even more sugar and condensed sweet milk. And uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. You know, yeah. Get me a nap. I'm ready for the cot. Right, right. That's it. Oh, my goodness. But that's not your signature dish here. No, no. It's something we're very, very famous for. But our signature dish would be the, uh, the Allegheny Mountain Trout that we've been serving here since the beginning of time. Um, we go through anywhere from 600 to 900 trout a week. Uh, do you pan fry them or? So it depends on the restaurant. We, we prepare them different ways, but the, the most uh, popular way is, uh, the classic French technique called Bernique. And that's with the grapes and the almonds and the lemon. And that butter. goes back to day one. That goes back to day one. Yep. That was the French influence. Yes, absolutely. Let's hear it from Mr. Lafayette. Yeah. We, by the way, the word Lafayette, you, you, you look at American history. He's everywhere. Yep. He absolutely. did it all. And. Where do you get the trout from? So it comes from a uh, trout farm just uh, about 20 miles north of us called the uh, Allegheny Highlands Mount, Mountain Trout Company. Um, so they raise them pretty much for us. We, we're the biggest season. They do sell them here and there, but we, we, you know, with 900 trout in a week, we pretty much wipe them out every week. Wow. Yeah. Deplete their... Yeah, deplete the yep. <laughs> the resource, but yep. not really. It's, it's yeah. So, but it keeps going. You know, they they have a pipeline, so every week we get more. So amazing. Now you were at another historic hotel. I was. Um, which, by the way, is another part of the historic hotels of Associ Association of America, where we've also been many times in a broadcast from the Broadmoor. Yep. Yep. Now that's not just a hotel; that's a city. Yeah, that's it's. I mean, when I first went to the Broadmoor, they had their own zoo. Mm -hmm. They had their own fire department. Yep. They had their own ice skating rink. In fact, Peggy yep. Fleming trained there for she the sure Olympics, did. right? Yep. Um, I made the mistake. I, I was riding around today, and I saw some people doing what I did there, and I went, not doing it. They teach, they teach you how to fly fish there, uh -huh. right? Now, yeah. I'm one of those guys. You mentioned trout. I'm, I, I don't believe in catch release. So if I'm going to work that hard for the fish, it's dinner, okay? Yeah, that's you're going to eat it. Well, first of all, you know what I caught in, in the Broadmoor? What you get? A tree. Yeah. I caught a tree. Yeah. Okay, that's, that was my... Saltwater casting, great. Fly fishing, I'm in the trees. Yeah. Yeah. But bottom line is, you do that here too. Yeah, absolutely. We have uh, Orvis is uh, the uh, facilitator of all of our fly fishing here at the hotel. When we come back, I want to talk to you about some of the other dishes that you've done here that speak to the history of the hotel and what people can learn when they come back. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. We've been speaking on the executive chef here, Gregory Barnhill. You know, you have over 400 rooms here. Mm -hmm. you're, you're serving, what, something like 1,300 meals a day? Um, not counting catering and not counting event events. 
1,500 people per meal period per day. Excuse me, yeah, Mr. Sorry. Showoff. Well. No, I got it. I got yeah. it. So how big a staff do you have? So in the summertime, we carry about 120 culinarians, um, about 12 chefs to oversee that whole operation. Wow. We cut that in about half during the wintertime. The point is, you're keeping it going 24-7. We are. Yeah. It's a 24-7 operation, uh, 365 days a year. It never, never stops here. You know, one of the misused terms of the last three years, let's say, which for a hotel that's as old as this one must be a little bit comical to you, mm. is farm to table. Yeah. You guys have always been farm to table. Yeah, we, we invented that. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we invented that, yeah. I mean, so other than your source for, for the trout, mm -hmm. where are you getting all your stuff? Most of our farms we work with are in the, the same area where the trout farm is, and that's in Highland County, which is just one county north of us. Uh, we work with about five or seven different farms there. They put a co-op together because the use that we have at this place would wipe one farm out in a minute. So <clears throat> they get together and they pretty much take care of our needs. Almost 90% um, of the produce during the summertime is coming right around locally from here. Now, other than, let's say, the, the donuts and the bread pudding, you're still serving baked Alaska? Yeah, yeah, we have. I, I know very few places that still serve it. Yeah. Um, they stopped it, serving it on cruise ships years ago. Yeah. Well, Probably because of the fire danger. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> we, uh, we don't let them light at table side anymore. We, we use a torch in the back to kind of contain that part. But, you know, we have. Wait, um, well, you don't let it light at table side because. Uh, um, well, we don't want to burn the place down. Okay, again, no, okay just double checking. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, we, you know, we, we, we have a lot of legacy guests here and uh, people that have been coming for generations and generations. So there's a few dishes that we decided we're going to keep carrying for as long as it makes sense. So Like? Well, the baked Alaska. Right. Um, you know, we do a Chateaubriand that we've been doing in the dining room for probably over 100 years. Uh, there's a uh, chicken Florentine that we do that's probably 100 years old. So there's, there's several dishes. Okay, so I always ask this of every chef i got to ask you. Because you left and then you came back. I mean, what's the, now that you're here, what's the one dish that you put on the menu that you thought, everybody's going to love this, man. They're not going to be able to get enough of it. And it tanked. <laughs> well, um, I got to think about that. Some of the seafood dishes that I've done in, in the past have just worked really, really well. And then? Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, the, I guess the palate of the, of the guests here are not what I was used to back in Colorado. So what, what does that mean? Because we're in the, we're in Virginia now. Yeah. Um, you know, Colorado is more of a southwestern style feel to the food. So there's a little bit more spice, a little bit bolder flavors, uh, a little bit more contrast. And here in the mid-Atlantic and with our legacy guests, you know, they like what they like. And it's almost like a country club. Meat and potatoes. Yeah. It's like a country club. Right. And, yep. they're, and they're going to vote. Yeah. Yeah, they absolutely do. So what what got taken off the menu? Um, we did a uh, seared rare ahi with a uh, wasabi uh, vinaigrette. Man, I would I would have gone for that. Sure, I mean I thought anybody would, but yeah, people weren't uh, they weren't ready for that here. Okay, you think they might be ready for it now? I think so. I think you know we we've really pushed the needle on uh, the last four years with the culinary program, and you know we're getting a lot of awareness, and there's a lot of uh, talk in the area about what's going on here. So uh, as we move forward, yeah, I, I believe that the culinary program is going to take that next step. So somewhere down the road, somebody's in a conversation right now. I think they may be serving one of those wasabi things. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now what's the one thing you put on the menu saying who's going to buy this, and you can't keep it in stock? It's flying off the menu. Baked Alaska. We're. <laughs> 
Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, man, there's no way. There's nobody left that wants that. It's ice cream with marshmallows on it. But yep, they love it. So that that's the one thing that every day I just shake my head. I'm like, I can't believe it. And it's that simple. And it is. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes simple is best. Yeah. Yep. You know, we, we talked about that earlier when we were making donuts with that recipe that a lot of times the simpler things are the best. All right. So what's your biggest challenge? Is it room service? Is it, I mean, to, to make sure that something gets to the room in a certain amount of time or, or consistency? As a chef, you got, you, got a, you got a big challenge here. Yeah, there's a lot. There's several different challenges. Uh, obviously, the, the size and the scope of the property with room service is difficult. Um, you know, we have because lot, we're talking 4,000 acres. When yeah, you, we got a lot of room. We got a lot of ground to cover. And then we also, there's the owner's club that uh, I think we have 60 houses at an interval. Uh, and you serve them as well. We absolutely do. Uh, so getting food to them, you know, is a challenge. You know, consistency, that's always a challenge anywhere you go. Um, How many different kitchens? We have 13 kitchens on property. That's big. Yeah. It's a lot of ground to cover. I remember in the old days in Las Vegas, you'd have 14 different restaurants, but one kitchen. Right, right. Yeah, everything (laughs) came out of one place. You can't do that here. No, no. We still have the big, giant main kitchen like the older hotels have, and and a a majority of the products still coming from there. But, uh, you know, we have to uh, have the other restaurants doing their own thing. So the bottom line is... You you never close. You got to keep going. Yeah. yeah, and you know keep the base, baked Alaska coming. Yeah, I guess when they're so. not eating donuts and bread pudding. <laughs> right. My goodness. And yeah. how much weight have you gained since you got back here? Uh, come on. Ten pounds. Seriously. Yeah. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast on the new location somewhere around the world. Hey, Prime members, Peter Greenberg here. You can listen to Ion Travel ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, and you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. And before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com. Many put their hope in Dr. Serhat. His company was worth half a billion dollars. His research promised groundbreaking treatments for HIV and cancer. Scientists, doctors, renowned experts were saying, genius, genius, genius. People that knew him were convinced that he saved their life. But the brilliant doctor was hiding a secret. Do not cross this line that was being messaged to us. Do not cross this line. A secret the doctor was desperate to keep. This was a person who was willing to cold-heartedly just lie to people's faces. We're dealing with an international fugitive. From Wondery, the makers of Over My Dead Body and The Shrink Next Door comes a new season of Dr. Death, Bad Magic. You can listen to Dr. Death, Bad Magic ad-free by subscribing to Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.